Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Oh Lord, I thank you for the power of the Spirit for inspiring the pen that wrote that word. I thank you, Lord, for the power of the Spirit that brings us here in this room, in this sanctuary, this safe space to be able to reflect on your word. And I thank you for the challenge that you laid on us now. May we take it to heart. May we be transformed people by your spirit. May we turn the world upside down in your name. Amen. So we're in the middle of a a three-week series. Uh, For those of you who are new uh, and weren't here last week, uh, it's called uh, Simply Complex. We're looking at the idea of the Bible being simply complex. You may start off at the Bible and say to yourself, it's simple, but as you delve into it, you realize it's deeply complex. And uh, it's very good to read the Bible and understand it as simple ideas, as Duplo, the Lego idea of the Duplo. But then there is the complicated Lego, the technic and beyond, that sometimes you have to remember and you have to connect those dots and you will grow in that experience. Uh, And so last week we looked at Abraham. We covered a, a lot of data with Abraham. Um, And uh, you may have read The Daily Walk to prepare for that as well. And uh, with Abraham, we looked at how his faith was simply uh, a very complex faith that he had because he was trying to understand God's will and growing through that. But today, I'm going to look at complex expectations, and I'm going to pick up on a particular story that Patty had read for us, a, a portion of that in Jonah. The first time, the first time, and so there's a little bit of hope in that when I say the first time that it eludes that I may have gone back to this place, but the first time that I went to Paris with my wife was 20 plus years ago. Uh, It was early on in our marriage, and, uh, and it was also, I would say, early on in the development of me as a man. Um, I would have been considered probably Jurassic age at that point in my development. Uh, This was before the development of the cell phone, Uh, so this is 20 plus years ago, Um, and and so it was quite a while ago. We visited countless museums, and France and Paris in particular has lots of museums. We we saw Van Gogh and Claude Monet, and we looked at the sculptures and drawings of Leonardo da Vinci. My comments to Becky as we walked through there were like, well, that looks okay, kind of like that one. I think I, could, uh, I think I could make that one myself. Um, doesn't look too hard to paint that one. Um, and, and as I went through this thing, uh, you know, the most romantic city in Paris was fast becoming the least romantic city in Paris. And really, by the end of it, it was not very romantic at all. Uh, I think she said that we were never to visit Paris again together. Um, and I blame those museums. By the time we arrived outside the Museum of Picasso, uh, I decided to sit outside, and I was convinced, with a simple ruler and a pencil, that I could do pretty much everything Picasso did as well. So I let Becky visit the museum by herself while I sat on a bench outside, and I people watched, you know, and uh, to be honest, in France, with a lot of French people out there, it's a lot of fun, uh, because French people are fun to watch, Um, you know. They're French. Um, and I know, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking, right? I know exactly what's going through your mind. Why didn't Becky sit out there with me, right? 
That's what you're thinking, right? Shame on her, right? No? All right. Uh, well, maybe I got that wrong. I, I got Okay, I know. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I'm sure there were a lot more French people to watch outside there, right? That's what you're thinking? No? All right, maybe I got this wrong. Let me try this again. Um, uh, okay, I got it. I know what you're thinking. Japheth, you're a barbarian. <laughs> and the truth is, is that I was a bit of a barbarian back then. I did not appreciate art. Uh, I literally walked through there and I was like kind of bored out of my head. Uh, and I was like, another museum? <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, oh my goodness, I've seen like 64 of these and they're all the same. And uh, because I didn't grow up like looking at art and appreciating art, and so it just didn't mean anything to me. But today, today, when I go to museums today, oh my goodness, uh, you cannot pull me away from museums. Today, when I go to museums, I, I, I have my phone out all the time. I can sit down and I can look at a painting for hours. I will stand there and I will stare at them. I'll take pictures of photos of, of the pictures without the flash. I'll take pictures of the descriptions of what the art is so that I can remember what the artists are saying, what the historians are saying about this. I'm constantly trying to work out why they painted it or why they sculpted it or what the intent behind it was. Uh, was there any political agenda? Who sponsored this piece of art? Were they trying to push some kind of agenda behind Behind this, uh, are they trying to create a story inside here for me now? Is there another painting underneath this, the Thomas Crown Affair? I have no idea, you know? And I'm constantly thinking about what this actually means to me because I really like it. Because it is simply complex. The more time you spend with it, the more you understand how significant it is. Now, devotional books are great, right? They are. Podcasts are great. Life groups are great. I joined uh, Erie last night and, and joined their the life group. It's fantastic. It's great. Religious books are great. Sermons are great. You should always be here on time. Seminars are great. Connect groups are great. But there is no substitute for the Word of God because it's raw and it's free and it's just, it's just palpable. And when you're not looking for a doctrine, when you're not looking for a topic, when you're not looking for a subject, but you're allowing the text to speak to you, oh my goodness, the Bible is kind of, it's kind of radical. It's kind of empowering. When you do, the simply complex will create complex expectations. Do you understand this? The simply complex book, this book, will create complex expectations. So question number one, and you need a worship guide. Uh, if you haven't got a worship guide, if you put your hand up, anybody needs a worship guide? Let's see, we've got a few that need some worship guides. Up front here, Thomas, Peter, and up front here as well. We've got a few questions that you'll need inside here. And, uh, and again, I encourage you with worship guide afterwards, Thomas, right at the back over there on the right as well. And Peter, on the left side up here in the front as well. If you could keep your hands up for about an hour, that'd be great. Uh, but with the worship guide, there's some questions inside here. Again, some of the classes after the, after the worship, we will discuss these questions, but you can discuss this in your life group as well, or your connect group, and I'd encourage you to go with, with these questions as well. Thanks, Peter. Why do we avoid the complex expectations in our lives? Question number one. Why do we avoid the complex expectations in our lives? 
I was uh, coaching a pastor this week. Uh, he's a wise guy. He's, he, he wants to get some counsel about as he's developing his church. And I was, he asked me some questions about how I prepare sermons and the sermonic year. And I shared with him what I've learned from a lot of great preachers, great preachers that I admire, uh, who do a really good job. In fact, uh, I've invited to come and join us next year. So next year in 2018, on the first Sabbath of every month, we have a guest speaker coming in. Some of the greatest preachers in Adventism are going to come through this church. And uh, as we launch the global collectives here at this church, they will be preaching here uh, on the first Sabbath each month next year. And, uh, and so these preachers have shared with us, and I shared with them that, you know, some preachers uh, get a great book, and uh, they read this book, and then they take all the chapters of this book and write an entire sermonic uh, quarter uh, or, or a month based on a book. They use the chapters of the sermon series. Others like to do a survey of the congregation, and they say, you tell us, what do you think the topic should be? Some prefer current issues, and they say, what's the, the hot topics that we should talk about? Uh, next year, we're going to do a little bit of variation of all of these, but my personal preference is simply to take a book of the Bible and to let us just soak ourselves in that text. The danger, and, and there is danger with this, is, is that if you do this, you have to allow the Spirit to lead um, and, and the difficulty with this is that you have to allow the text to take you where it goes. You have to allow the text to speak. You have to allow the text to speak to issues that you maybe didn't want to raise or didn't want to have to address. Take today, for instance. I chose Jonah, the book of Jonah, a long time ago. Uh, I chose Jonah before Dhaka had hit the press. I chose Jonah before North Korea was on the news. I chose it before Char Charlottesville had occurred. I chose Jonah because it was simply complex. And it's a great example in the Bible that either brings you in or out, right? Uh, like the story of Abraham last week. People read the story of Abraham in Genesis, and they, at the end, they're either like, oh, that guy, sword and thing, Isaac. Oh, I'm either in or out with the Bible. Jonah, I don't know. This guy, it's complex. With the fish, I don't know. I'm either in or out. I mean, the guy allowed, swallowed by a fish, in there, spewed out on the ground. Come on, what do you take me for? Am I some kind of fool that I would believe in this book that has a story about a man who was swallowed by a fish, taken on the water for three days? You think I'm supposed to trust this at the word of a divine being? How can I trust this book? And therefore, I thought, we should look at the story of Jonah. <laughs> Yet, as I shared last week, when you look at the Bible as Duplo, Lego, basic, uh, it's beautiful, and there's some great stories inside there. But technic, there's some amazing little pieces that can pull us together. And there are some seriously complex expectations inside the story. And that's why, that's why we focus on the fish that's why we focus on the fish. Because, and here it is, as long as we argue about the fish, we don't have to face the complex expectations. Did you hear that? I'm gonna read this to you again. As long as we argue about the fish, we don't have to face the complex expectations. As long as you and I argue, is it possible for a fish to swallow a human being and for the human being to survive? And as long as you and I argue about the fish, we will never have to talk about the real issue in the story of the book of Jonah. And you will not have to deal with the complex expectation that Jesus has laid in your life. 
You can ignore what Jesus says. You can ignore what the art was laying down in your life. You can go to the museum and you can look at the pieces of art and just say, who cares about that kind of stuff? What's that beauty have to do with me? But let me recap the story of Jonah for you really, really quickly, just in case you didn't have time to read, because it's such a long book. Oh, it takes about three seconds or so to read the story. Ah, uh, here it is. I'm going to recap it for you. In the land, at the sea, in the fish, in Nineveh, outside Nineveh. Done. Or, I know that was long, I'll, I'll try and be shorter. Uh, God calls Jonah, Jonah runs away, God responds. Good? No, no, listen. It's such a good book, it's actually worth reading. <laughs> It is. It really is. And, and to read it, I mean, to do it justice, you actually need to read it. It's not hard. We read it last night at the Erie uh, Life Group. It's really good. And it's such a fantastic book that it's worth doing that. But, but just for the record, uh, and I need to just say this out front so that you, you, know, you, you can understand where I stand. I, you know, I believe the story's real. And you're like, oh, no. I can't believe another thing this guy's going to say because he believes the fish is real. Now your mind's all stuck in the fish. You're like, oh, man, he believes the fish is real. Oh, everything he's going to say is going to It's like Charlie Brown right now. I believe the story is real, but I also believe in God. I also believe in gravity. I believe in space. I believe in the stars. I believe in the sun and the solar system. I believe in the creator of the universe. Um, I haven't actually been out to space yet, but I believe. So... I'm going to answer question number two, which I think is a really important question, this. Why should we take the story of Jonah seriously when you've got some doubts about it, and I think it affects your view of the Bible? Why should we take the story of Jonah seriously? You should take the story of Jonah seriously because of the history. Look, the Neo-Assyrian uh, Empire uh, has some documents in the 9th and 8th centuries that indicate that they were famous for, at that time, uh, for repenting, and when they would repent of different things, they would put sackcloth and ashes, and as a, as, a, as a people, they would repent and pray, and then they would repent as a whole group, and they would pray to their god, Adad. Uh, and so it was not a surprise when another prophet comes along and says, you must repent, that they would put sackcloth and ashes, which happened in the story of Jonah, and they would repent and actually come back and follow them. You've also got to remember this, that Solomon, uh, was a great king, and his empire was huge, 1,000 B.C. So this is only a couple of hundred years apart from the story of Jonah. Israel had a great reputation. If Jonah comes along and says, I happen to be from the land of Israel, I happen to be from the people of he the Hebrew people, I happen to happen to be from the God who made Solomon great, who had this vast empire, they're going to be like, oh, he's, uh, he's one of those people there. It's going to be pretty important with that. You should take it seriously because of the heat, not uh, the temperature-wise, but the heat from the various characters, like the sailors, who in a storm of, at sea attempt to row to the shore, when for centuries, navigational history has always told that when you're in a storm, you don't row to the shore, you stay in the middle of the sea. Because God is saying, look, I placed a storm there, I've got your boat there, I've got Jonah there, hang on while I deal with this kind of stuff there, because there's a bigger issue at stake here. Both of them need to listen, because there is a plan here, Jonah has to go to Nineveh, and I'm going to place some heat on Jonah. You should take it seriously because of their honesty. I mean, what prophet will want to subject himself to the humility of this story? Really? 
I mean, to the shame of looking like an utter buffoon. <laughs> and I appreciate the interaction that we get from Daily Walk. You know, around the world, people write to us uh, and they say, hey, this is what I thought about the Daily Walk today, or here's a thought that I had. Somebody was, wrote to us this week and said um, that they were writing a curriculum for kids this week on, on Jonah. And the Spirit of God sent them the Daily Walk. They received the Daily Walk and like, I'm writing a curriculum for kids, and then I get the daily walk. It's all about Jonah. And so they were thanking us for that. And then and Steve Sheldon, who comes here, he, he wrote this. He said, the thing about the story of Jonah that always amazed me is that after he all went through, that after all that he went through and all that God did for him, he went outside the city and sat down to watch Nineveh be destroyed. Then he was upset when God didn't destroy Nineveh. Amazing. Absolutely, Steve. You're, you're absolutely right. He was shocked by this as well. But look at the honesty of the story. No historians in that time wrote stories that were brutally honest like this. Perhaps there is a complex expectation that we all have to learn. And here's a quick reality check. And this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable for some people. Let's say, and just go with me with this, let's say I find a tablet, right? And this tablet, no, no, let's say I find an entire library, all right, with paintings and artwork showing you the Assyrians met a guy called Jonah, all right? Let's say I find photographs. I find an iPad. I know it wasn't made then. A camera, a video. I know it wasn't made then. 3,000-year-old camera. And this 3,000-year-old camera they had technology, I don't know, alien invasion. And they found this camera, and this camera shows you a guy coming out of the uh, whale on the shore. And you're like, oh, it's real. Jonah was real. And the whale, it was pink. Oh, this is amazing. You're just kind of like blown away with this. And you see stomach acid all over him. Oh, it's real. Let's say we find the grave of Jonah and all his bones, and you find a little autograph of a king from Assyria saying, I testify that I found Jonah and he's real so that you in Boulder will believe. I mean, let's just say I found all of this stuff. All these evidences prove only that he existed, but they do not prove. They do not prove that God spoke to Jonah or Jonah spoke to God. You hear that? They don't prove that God spoke to Jonah or Jonah spoke to God. And this is important because you can't prove those conversations. Those you have to believe by the effects. Those you have to hold by the reality. Those you can only consider when you see the complex expectations of life. And this is our problem when it comes to the Bible. We're looking at the Bible for physical evidence. When God is saying it has to be deeper than that. We're looking at the Bible for scientific leadership when God is saying it has to be a different paradigm. We're looking at the Bible for predictive power when God is saying it has to be about trust. For myself, I take the book of Jonah seriously because of the rich blessings that it has on my life. Truly, I mean seriously, the book of Jonah, full of amazing blessings in my life, treasures inside there. 
I mean, you've got to watch the book just develop. It's like when you see great art. You've, you've gone to museums, right, where you've been able to go up to some great painting and, uh, and you can go really close to them, like inches away from a great painting that's the size of, a, of this wall behind us, right? And you can see the artist's pen. And when you realize the artist's brush, as, as close as it is, and you realize that every single stroke on, on the canvas is, is about this big, and they're just painting that small, and they've covered the entire canvas. And then you realize the layers of every single time they build sound, and that it's taken them probably years to make this, and that they saw this picture in their head and created this. You're kind of in awe. And that's the way the Bible was crafted and made. Well, Jonah is not new to this world. When this book is made, he knows his context. He's not new to the world at this point. He knows all the stories of old. So when the Bible of Jonah opens up and he starts to tell us some of the very beginnings of sight here, he understands some things that are going on. He knows when Hagar was sent in Genesis chapter 16 with her son Ishmael off to the wilderness, that Jesus sent an angel to protect uh, her and the boy. He knows that Jacob, when he had to face his brother Esau and thought, will my brother Esau accept me or reject me, that he was going to be saved and that he fought with Jesus all night long, but Jesus protected him. He knows that Moses, when Moses was confronted with a million people saying, take me back to Egypt, I want to be a slave again, he's like, God, you're going to help me get through this river right now. He knows that David, when David was confronted by the reality that he had massacred people and didn't know a way out and hurt people close to him, that God was going to forgive him. So watch this. The narrator tells us that Jonah flees to Tarshish. Now, not to ignore his call, not to avoid his purpose, not to change his job description, but to avoid the presence of God. <laughs> and he does this twice, to avoid the presence of God. And the Bible records this twice, that he says this, intentionally to tell us, as if anywhere in the Bible so far, there is a place that you can avoid the presence of God. This is what's happening. I take courage from this story. That's why I believe in this. For those of us who do not believe, for those of us who choose to ignore, for those of us who are investing all of our money, all of our time, all of our energy, as Jonah did, all of our wisdom, even some of us who take drugs to be able to find a enlightened kind of like view of truth because we do not want to study the Bible because we're trying to avoid the presence of God, Jesus is sending a wind. That's what he's doing. Because some of us actually need to be swallowed by fish. Uh, and we need to be confronted by the complex expectations. And Jesus is sending a wind. You're too talented to be wasting your life because Jesus is sending a wind. And you're too beautiful to kind of flip that life away because Jesus is sending a wind. And you're too gifted to give it away because Jesus is sending a wind. So I want you to take a moment. Look, you can take out a connect card and try this exercise, or you can just do this in your mind, which is what many of you will try to do right now. Draw a circle. Place your name in the middle of that circle. I personally like the connect card because I'm a physically uh, challenged person. I enjoy to like be able to write things out. So... Draw a circle, though. Put your name in the middle of that. 
imagine that that's you, and then you take a line and you draw a line out, work. Draw another circle, put work inside there. Draw another line, put family inside there. Draw another line and put kids inside there. And draw a few lines of all the responsibilities that you have. You can then, from work, you can draw and subdivide that into 10 billion other lines. I mean, just take it easy, okay? Don't get crazy, because the connect card's kind of small. After you've done this, I want you to draw all the lines of what strength comes into your life. Maybe work actually gives you strength. You know? Maybe your family gives you strength. Maybe your marriage gives you strength. Maybe God gives you strength. And draw all the lines that actually give you strength and put the circles of what actually gives you strength inside there. As you start to map this out, start to think to yourself about the things that actually give you strength and things that actually take stuff away from you. And be honest about this, because some of the habits that you have that you call escapism to recharge, maybe are not recharging you. Maybe you think, oh, I'm going to go read a book. Because I read a novel or I read this book or I go watch a movie, I'm going to go recharge. But you are not recharging you are filling your mind with something else that actually doesn't recharge you, it depresses you. It actually takes your mind to another place that doesn't actually allow your spirit to be replenished. Maybe you think that you're doing this, but you're not actually healing your soul inside there. And some of us, you, you know, if I asked you to do, hey, one more thing, if your family asked you to take on one more thing more, you'd be like, <gasps> meltdown. You couldn't do one more thing. You're on the very edge. You look at your bucket and you say to yourself, I am scraping the bottom of my bucket and I don't have anything to give anymore. And some of us will live from the overflow. We just like have so much more to be able to give. Tuesday evening at the elders board this week, we talked about the reality that we've lost two pastors in this church in the last couple of months. And so I was sharing with the elders that we, uh, we're not going to slow down and speed up. And, uh, and they were very excited about that. They were like, ah. some of them were. Some of them just leaned over and then died. Um, no, <laughs> no, but they gave some good wisdom. They were like, hey, you know what? There's a, there's a real serious reality that we could, all, we could burn out. You know, we, we, have to, we have to do a reality check about this. How much can we do and what should we actually slow down on and what should we do about this? Because there's only so much work we can do when we start to lose some of the, the, uh, the leadership that we have. And, uh, and it's true. But this is the problem. Here's the problem. The church is, is, is actually going so well. It's a problem. It really is. Um, I mean, I'm, like, I'm meeting new people every single week. Uh, it's, it's horrible. Uh, <laughs> it really is. It really is. It's just like I'm meeting new people every single week. Um, I'm, I'm like connecting with new people every single, every single week. There's new people coming to church, and we're meeting new people every single week. It's just, it's just tragic. I don't know. I don't know. This summer, uh, we had more people consistently coming to church than we ever had in the last three and a half years. Uh, we have more students going to see you this year that are coming to this church, and, uh, and post-grad students as well. Vista Ridge this year has the bumper largest amount in the last three and a half years attending Vista Ridge Academy, which we're really blessed for. Camp Sanitas, with Pastor Jessica's leading now, zero to 17. We're growing that, and more kids are interested in going to that, and, and then One Life is going more consistently as well. Pastor Jay Murdoch is going to join us in May. On Sunday, I'm interviewing two kids who are interested in maybe coming to help us out and project manage some stuff here. I mean, and I am running from my overflow. I'm not going in my bucket like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do down here? I'm like, I'm running from my overflow, and I don't think people understand this. I think people are like, 
Wait, he must be burning out at any moment now. It's just going to fizzle. And I think I need you to understand that I'm enjoying it because the overflow comes from the Spirit of God that's filling my bucket up all the time. And the Spirit of God gives you the ability to be able to do more. So this overflow is different than when you're doing it by your own strength, right? The difficulty is that there are many times when I have allowed the overflow to not be led by the Spirit of God. And when I allow the overflow to not be led by the Spirit of God, then I'm going into the bucket and I'm pulling by my own strength. Then you see me kind of get frazzled. And I've been frazzled. Uh, when I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, dig and dip, 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 and it's down the side there because I'm relying on the wrong sources to fill it up. So it is important to make sure that you know what it is that fills your bucket up with. I kid you not, though. Here's the thing. Even though we're doing so well, we are just revving the engine right now. We are. We have just engaged the clutch. I mean, we've literally just got the saddle onto the horse. We've not even strapped on the climbing gear. Do you get the metaphor? Shall I stop there? No, I think you need some more. Uh, we've not waxed the surfboard. We've just paid for the Lego bricks. We're in you get it? No? Okay. I, I think we're just like in the store and we're, we're just window shopping. You kind of get it? No? All right. I mean, we, we're, just, we're just thinking we're in the gas station and we're like thinking, should we put gas in the car? No? No? We're just beginning. <laughs> There's so much beautiful things to happen because God is blessing this church. And it's because the Spirit is working in this church. Are you with me? There are so many, though, of you who are out at sea on your way to Tarshish right now thinking it's somebody else's responsibility. <laughs> I just wanted to let you know I know who you are. <laughs> okay? I, I, I'm, I'm going to name you now. All right, ready? Uh, no, I'm just saying, there are. There are. There's some of you who are just like thinking, I'm pretty sure that he said I should go to Tarshish. <laughs> so you're in the boat, and you're just out there, and you're thinking, somebody else's responsibility to take care of the church. And the thing is this, you don't have to do a lot. But if we all started to just help each other a little bit, you could help each other out a little bit, you could actually energize each other a little bit, there is a lot that you could do. And I was so, so, so impressed with our elders on Tuesday night because on Tuesday night, so many elders from their overflow, spirit-led, took on so many little things that actually took stuff off us as pastors that allows us to go do so many other things. They took on a whole load of stuff on and just moved it off our plates and said, hey, we'll do this so that you can actually go do this other stuff here. So question number three, our last question for this morning, and this is important, and this is a tough question here. You think it's easy, but you'll see in a second why it's really hard. Who has Jesus called you to love? Who has Jesus called you to love? What? This is not fair. Surely Jonah loved the people of Nineveh, right? So that's why he went back to warn them. I mean, he repented inside the prayer that Patty Chamberlain read so beautifully to us. Surely he did that. Well, I want you to watch this Duplo and Teclic Beyond moment that took place inside scripture here. Jonah has done everything in his power to avoid the city. He spent his entire fortune, his resources and time. He does not want to go and talk to them. And by the way, Jesus had the same problem with Israel for, for centuries. 
Jesus had the problem with his disciples. Do you remember this? When he said to them, hey, uh, let the, the children come and speak to me. And they're like, well, I don't know. Jesus had the problem with the early church. And they said, I think the church is really for the Jews. And he said, no, 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 the church is for the Gentiles as well. Jesus had the problem with uh, sinners and tax collectors. No, I think you should hang out only with these people here. Jesus says his message, his love is for everyone. So welcome to the kingdom and welcome to the party. Jonah's rejection of Jesus actually allows Jesus to bring others to faith. Isn't that fantastic? So the sailors. You know, uh, the rabbinic tradition teaches that uh, the sailors represented all the nations of the world, 70 nations at that time they understood. So get this, Jonah goes into the boat, he ends up being forced to preach inside there, tells them about it, and Jesus, with a reluctant preacher, actually converts all the nations of the world there. So when Jonah's failing, Jesus is working. So even when you lose the plot, even when you think there's no way home, Jesus is working through you. And this is how it plays out. We've got to turn with me in the text, and I want you to read this text. So Jonah's a really easy book to find. I'm going to tell you the page number. <laughs> uh, page 862, page 862. It's so long, it's one page in my Bible, uh, the entire book of Jonah. Um, so Jonah, page 862. We're looking at Jonah chapter 3. And I want you to just keep this open in your Bibles. If you're on your phone, keep it open, because we're going to go to Jonah 3 and Jonah 4. Read just a couple of verses, and uh, I think these are pretty significant, and you'll see the Duplo and the Technic effect here as well. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. I love the passage that was read, because the passage takes you on a prayer that understands, that de demonstrates uh, where Jonah had understood he was before he got into uh, the situation in the whale here. But he basically says, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's, it's a, a very deep prayer inside there. There's lots of application. But then watch this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Three days' journey. Why tell us that? Well, there's deep significance in the three. Three days' journey is preparation last week, I told you, that Abraham took to go to Mount Moriah. Uh, three days' journey is what Jesus had as well. Three days' journey is what Joshua did before uh, surrounding uh, Jerusalem there, I mean uh, Jericho there. Three days is significant inside there. But then watch this. How long did it take Jonah to get through a city that takes three days to walk through? One day. Why did it take Jonah one day to get through a city that normally takes three days? Because he was tired? Nope. Because he was hungry? No. Nope. Because uh, he had some stomach issues, being in a whale? No. Nope. No. Nope. Because the story wants to let us know that something's deeply wrong with Jonah. Jonah should have gone and seen the king. But verse 6 is going to tell you that uh, the king hears by word of the mouth. Jonah's ticked off. Jonah wants the message done so quickly, he practically runs through that city. Runs through the city, it takes three days, he does it in one day. And the results are wonderful. Everyone repents. 
Nineveh makes a radical shift. Jesus is happy and Jonah is ticked off. Why? It's because Jesus sent a message and Jonah presented something different. Hmm? It's true. And this is deep on so many levels, you see. When you're reading the Bible, you have to understand this, that you're trying to understand who God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit are. But you have to read it through human eyes as well. You have to understand the context of what's being said inside here. So you have to understand that there are Duplo stories inside here taking place, but you have to read through the texting inside here and you have to pull it all together. That's why we're so quick to judge God inside here. We're so quick to judge the Bible. And we're so quick to dismiss it and we're so quick to dismiss God and the Bible. Jonah went to Nineveh with hatred, with a judgment complete. He was done before he even arrived, with a message that they were done for. And Jesus was going to take them out. And the word that he used in Hebrew uh, is this Hebrew word. And I think you'll see it come up on the screen here. Hafak. This is the word that he used in Hebrew. This is a great word. Uh, you should use it at your home all the time. This is what the Hebrew word basically means. It means to turn around, to convert, to overthrow, or to reform. So you go to your kids and you say, I want you to hafak. And what you're saying to them is, I want you to repent, to turn around, or you to overthrow, or to reform. And I know the kids are thinking, Mom, I want you to say this to me. And I'm going to say this to my brother or to my sister all the time now. From now on, I will speak Hebrew fluently, all right? Now, I've got to ask you a serious question, though. Which one do you think Jonah used when he went through Nineveh? Do you think he went there and said, Jesus wants you to turn around, to convert, to overthrow, or to reform. I think he went through the whole city said, Jesus wants you to repent because he's going to overthrow you. And I think Jesus was saying he wants you to repent because he wants you to reform. He wants you to convert. He wants you to turn around. And I think this is the problem that Jonah was upset about. So he goes on top of the mountain to watch the city burn. He's like, bring me a Sodom and Gomorrah again. I mean, if ever there was a city that was evil for social justice was the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was famous for this. In, in 100 years, they're going to attack Israel. They were the kind of people that would skin people alive, lay bodies on top of each other uh, outside the city and let them just waste in the sun. They were an evil, evil city. And God saw the evil inside the city and he said, they need to repent of who they are. And Israel knew this. Jonah knew this about the city. So it's like they hurt people. They are evil people. They need to be wasted from this place here. So he sits on top of the mountain to watch them go, and nothing happens. Instead, they repent. Now Jonah, Jonah then turns. Look at this in your Bibles, Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Just page, same page. <laughs> page 862 it says this but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry he prayed to the Lord and said oh Lord it is not this what I said when I was yet in my country this is why I hate to flee to Tarshish for I knew that you're a gracious God merciful slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster but even this reply is not true think about this if you added this verse right at the beginning of the story. It would read something like this. God, I left Tarshish because I went to Tarshish because no matter what I decided, I knew you were going to save them. 
which is what Jonah's saying, right? Jonah's saying, God, their choices don't matter. You've decided everything already. That's why I'm going to Tarshish, right? You don't believe in this. This is his pride speaking right now. This is about him saying, humans have no freedom to decide because he's angry. Because God actually says, you do have freedom to decide. God says, I have mercy on people. And this is so important. That's why the plant at the end of the story is so pivotal. And Jonah's not willing to admit that people can change, and that God loves that about humanity, that they can make the changes, and they can reform. Now, here's my hunch. Because of my reading of the Bible as a whole, when I look at the character of God, and when I look at the story of what's going to happen in 100 years from now from this story here, when Nineveh is going to come with the Syrian Empire and take over the Northern Kingdom, God is saying, look, Jonah, I need you to write a story and I need you to write this story here. Would you be willing to tell the people an embarrassing story about yourself? Would you tell them, would you tell them a fantastic adventure that I took you on uh, so that they would understand the depths that I go to, even with their enemies? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you do that, Jonah? <laughs> and I think Jonah would have laughed and he would have cried as he wrote the 689 words. I think he would have had a little green plant right next to his desk or on the floor, wherever he scribed this down. And he said, oh, I remember when you pushed me with that plant. <laughs> because I think he would have. And I think it's beautiful. This story shows you God who not only speaks, but God who plays with you. God who likes to like nudge with you and kind of like teach you and kind of encourage you and say, come on. Jonah, you get, get upset about the plant. What about people? What about humanity? God would have smiled with him, said, yeah, my son. But sometimes it's hard to get you to love people like I love people, right? That's what it comes down to. It's hard to get you to love people the way that I love people. And this is why the book is deeply complex and why the expectations our really expectations are really, really hard for us. God is calling us to a place that is very, very difficult. Because to love like God is not humanly possible. It is only possible if the Spirit of God dwells inside you. I am going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that your Spirit dwell inside us and may you replenish us every single day. Lord, may you take away the the hatred that we have, the anguish that we have, the anger that we have, the struggles that we have. May we look at people like you look at people. When we have the passion to be able to embrace people like you embrace people. Lord, may we be able to like heal like you heal people. May we see potential like you see potential in people. May we be able to follow through the complex expectations that you have laid on us so we may be followers deep and rich in the word like you've called us to. We ask this in Jesus' most beautiful name.